0: Okay, so we went to Great America, and Virginia doesn't do motion sickness very well. Like, she gets queasy easy. So, we're riding Flight Deck, which is okay. a metal roller coaster, kind of intense. And towards the end of the ride, you know, we, we slow down and are waiting to get off, and the ride is just starting and stopping really jerkily. She's yeah. like, I'm <laughs> nearing my edge. And so, oh no. <laughs> we, we come into the station, everybody gets off. She starts down the stairs, I go down after her. She leans over and spits puke into the trash can right there and just keeps on walking. And I was like, <laughs> Did you just throw God up in else. your mouth and hold it until you're away from people and then spit it into the trash can and keep going? She's like, Yeah. I'm like, I love you oh so much. God. That's the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. <laughs>
1: Welcome to episode 443 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Lover. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode, Brian. What do we got on the docket for today? Oh, buddy. We're talking about design systems interviews. We're talking about how we describe what we do to a layperson. And in the sidebar, Sidebar, sidebar. uh, we're going to be talking about intentional growth as a junior designer. So let's dig in. Marshall, we got some new VIPs in the hey. fam this week welcome in welcome to the fam to machai lois yang shankar boko aro kirill slavetsky ashwin ks tiffany c u isabella volska aditya jayan sylvester lao and dario camacho hey Hey. welcome to the fam everybody you know i gotta say first of all not a whole lot of messages about last week's announcement that we're taking the show bi-weekly but also like no revolt you know (laughs) yeah no pitchforks
0: and torches yeah
1: pretty neutral plus some people like still feel compelled to join the patreon for the extra content so I don't know. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for supporting us as Absolutely. we change the pace of the show. We want to still keep making awesome episodes as often as we can. It's just going to slow down a little bit while we uh, got other stuff going on in our life. And I'm we'll hopefully have lots of stuff to to talk about on that front, campsite related stuff over the next few weeks. So yeah. if you didn't know, we're a listener supported podcast. It means that every week listeners like you, yes, you hearing these words right now as you are Walking your dog, probably. (laughs) Driving
0: to work? Running on the treadmill?
1: Yeah, one of those three things. I bet we got someone out there. Uh, That means people go to patreon.com slash design details. They throw us just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. And you get access to bonus episodes. So we call that bonus episode the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. And it's just an extra listener question, extra topic, more design details content for your ears. Got over 800 people tuning into that Thank you, everybody, who's supporting the show already. Thank you. And if you're not, consider heading to patreon.com slash design details. Get access to that bonus set for just a Mm -hmm. buck a month. It's just a buck a month. All right. Marshall, main topic time. Hit
0: me. Yeah. So we have an anonymous listener question that came by way of Twitter DM to me. And it reads thusly. I'm kicking off a round of interviews for design system positions and was wondering what types of questions to prepare for. Most of the material I found online about interviews is either super general, not targeted at designers at all, or only focused on product or UX design, and not specifically on design systems. I know there will be overlap, but I'm looking to prepare for questions specifically around design systems and coming up short. Great question. Yeah. I
1: would love to hear what you think, because I don't know anything about what a design systems interview would look like.
0: Yeah, uh, funny thing, neither do I, Brian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. We're going
1: to do great in this podcast episode.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Caveat, caveat, caveat. I currently am the design systems lead at YouTube, but I didn't really like interview for it. I mean, I kind of interviewed for it, but I was doing something else at YouTube beforehand, and there was a vacuum, and I stepped in. and
1: Yeah, you found your way in by, by doing
0: the thing, right? And I'm doing it alone. So uh, I haven't interviewed anybody to help me do it yet. So uh, I haven't even had to write those questions. But doing this stuff every day and thinking about it every day, maybe I can shine some light on things that I would potentially ask uh, when I do get headcount to hire people on and help me with this stuff. Let's do it. All right. So the first thing I think about is is kind of like the original Bible for this type of stuff is Atomic Design by Brad Frost. It's like an online short little book. You can order it in print or you can just read it online, which I did the latter Uh, link in the show notes. And it basically lays out the way to think about design systems. I assume you're probably doing this already, but I think this is kind of from what I can tell the blueprint for how design systems are built. And quick TLDR of it is basically you start at the smallest things. Those are called atoms, buttons, icons, things like that. And you combine those into larger amalgams of atoms, and those are called molecules, and those combine into organisms, which combine into templates, which combine into pages. I think I got that right. And also, like, how you would go about organizing your design system. A lot of the stuff I know and put into practice I learned from reading this short. It's called a book, but it's not that long. (laughs) It's more like a pamphlet. So, that's the first thing I think of atomic design by Brad Frost. Second thing I think of is your expertise in the tools that you use to create those design systems. What is your knowledge of Figma, if that's what you're using, or Sketch, or XD, or whatever it happens to be? How advanced of a user of those things are you? What tips and tricks? Are, you know? Do you use, I would, I would think about anything that you've invented as a way to, to help create your own design system that nobody else is doing that you've come up with on your
1: own. What would that look like? You mean like a Figma plugin or a Figma community file or something like that? Or do you have something else in mind?
0: Um, I'm thinking of ways to cope with the lack of tooling. If you work in Figma like I do, it's an incredibly powerful tool, but there are gaps in the things that you would want to do, like handoff to designers or handoff to engineers of how are you documenting these things? How are you making it easy to use, etc.? Like what are your coping mechanisms for the gaps in the tools? Yeah. In addition to the things that you've contributed to like building design systems, how do you actually construct those? Like what are your building methods as far as like layout? and auto layout specifically, or any, any type of um, responsive design, like how are you structuring those things? What are your principles around how you, how you build stuff to be used by other people? And then maybe the last part is, is maintenance and ownership. So like, How do you what's your strategy for keeping all of those things fresh, making sure that the dusty corners don't stay dusty very long? How do you divvy out the ownership for those things so that it's not just you necessarily doing all this stuff on your own? Or if it is that you have help and people that are experts in that particular component or that particular feature area that you can defer to or at least help you carry that load. Yeah. So how, how do you think about the maintenance and, and long term life of the design system? Because it, it's very much not a once and done type of a thing. It is very much a living document or a, a living set of tools and components that is constantly changing and updating and being deprecated and stuff. So does all that make sense?
1: <laughs> it, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it, these aren't like specific interview questions, but they're general topics that I think might help guide this person maybe into a more uh, more helpful rabbit hole through the Google searches or something like that. Uh, but one question that I had for you that I didn't see you address was working with engineering. I feel like oh yeah, there's a really interesting thing happening now. I mean... Design tokens are the current buzzword, a.k.a. variables. There's a lot of interesting work happening in the plugin tooling space or or Figma plugin space. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening in the color space and how people are thinking about creating systems with different color modes for things like color blindness or high contrast. Mm -hmm. uh, and, And like actually building tools to sort of automate the generation of accessible color palettes. And then I guess just like one other broad question that comes to mind is like, do you ask people about technical background? Like, is it helpful for you to see people who have coded their own design system before and like understand conceptually what semantic abstractions are and why they're useful? Yeah, these are all great points. By the way,
0: you're making me look bad that I didn't mention that. Um, <laughs> hey, th- we're we're a tag team on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll take these one at a time. So, yeah, absolutely. Engineering, I kind of mentioned it in passing, but yeah, uh, like your customer as, as a design systems administrator of any kind is the designer and the engineer. Those are the people that you're shipping to. The end customer is like several steps down the road from there. And your immediate concern should be like, how are people able to use the things that I'm maintaining? And uh, as important as it is for, yeah, like I was talking about those coping mechanisms for the tool, like with designers of helping them understand it. Also the, the handoff process to engineers and making sure that your designs as closely to both structure and naming conventions of engineers so that when you say component xyz it maps directly to their code component xyz mm-hmm. and, and there isn't a translation layer that needs to exist where well okay we call it this but you call it that but th- that's the same thing and uh the next thing you mentioned was like plugins and, and um, tooling for making things more automatic absolutely um yeah, especially just the thinking about the accessibility side of this is uh, incredibly important, N- not just regular theming, but like you mentioned, high contrast. How are you handling these things? Again, how are you organizing this stuff? So that's easy to tell the difference between different things, but also access them easily. You even mentioned uh, a coding background. I was thinking about this the other day. It's like doing design system stuff is almost more like a UX engineer than UX yeah. designer because your thinking is very... Um, it's it's less creative and more you know less right brain more left brain I guess whichever one is the one that does the creative stuff you're using that <laughs> I don't um, know which one yeah, yeah less than the average I think right side is is creative anyways yeah you're you're very much in code mode a lot of the time where you're thinking about how all of these things are going to relate to one another and you're kind of thinking in classes and stuff like that so yeah I I, I would consider that to be a huge bonus or at least the way of thinking more procedural and methodical
1: rather than creative
0: because creative can actually make things a lot more messy.
1: Interesting. What about, well, on that note, what about visual design, visual expertise? I feel like this is a a topic that comes up on Twitter quite often. And I think we've probably discussed it on the show at this point is like, where do visual designers go on product teams? People who really care about like making the components themselves aesthetically beautiful And it seems like in the current, let's call it product designer meta, there's not as much room for visual designers. It seems like those kinds of people end up on design systems teams because that's kind of the source of here's what it looks like, right? Um, Whereas product designers might be sort of inheriting a lot of those decisions and ideally collaborating, but they might be inheriting more of those decisions and thinking, product problems and user flows and metrics and goals and all this kind of other stuff, right? So what do you look for on on the visual design
0: side? Yeah, this is, I I debated whether I should include this because like, uh, just because you're maintaining the design system doesn't mean you're defining the look of the things that go into it, right? It might have existed before you even showed up, right? You're just codifying it and organizing it. So I don't know. I, I tend to think of those things as two separate disciplines, The visual design is a separate discipline from design systems thinking. There's nothing stopping you from being able to do both. But I don't have an expectation that because you're good at one, you'll be good at the other. Because like I said, it's, it's very much right brain, left brain, those two things. Um, I'm not even sure if that's scientifically like accurate anymore the right brain right, left brain right thing. Anyways, oh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I
1: feel saying. like that was debunked, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, I feel so like it was it's still so helpful. It's yeah. a helpful proxy for communicating some idea, right? Yeah.
0: So, yeah, uh, to my mind there are separate disciplines that require different ways of thinking. I don't expect any one person to be good at both, but if you are good at both, That's a big bonus, especially if the company that you're working at puts the onus of the visual design on the design systems team. If you're at a a different type of organization where those types of things are either designed as a group with everyone's needs in mind, or you're at a place, like I said, where it already exists, or you're at a place where each team kind of designs the stuff they need and the design system ties it all together in a single place, It's going to depend on what your requirements are for for running that design system, if you'll need to contribute visual design efforts at all, but not a requirement, definitely a bonus.
1: In the interview, are there design systems exercises or something like, you know, a common thing in product design is a product problem or like some sort of creative brainstorming together, you know? How would you design an ATM for kids? How would you redesign the gas station? Like kind of stuff like that, which Uh is really Uh product-y. Is there something similar on the design system side?
0: I don't know. Like I said, I've never done this before. I'm just kind of talking up my ass or like, I was thinking about this. Yeah, what would it be? The example I always use is design a thousand floor elevator. Yeah. But that, yeah, this doesn't work for those type of like. Well, I, I, that's actually more systematic, maybe, than the examples
1: I listed, right?
0: Well, you know, it's funny, is like maybe that's why I gravitate towards that as my favorite interview design exercise yeah. question, is because like the best answers end up being the systems
1: based answers. Yeah, interesting. Okay, that's a good one. But yeah,
0: I don't, I don't know. I, I wonder. Maybe a a good thing would be like here's a flat design file with everything poorly contained or if contained at all, you know, like just a really bad file. How would you build this as a component? And and I would watch them like, okay, how are you going to set out the auto layout groups? And how are you thinking about the structure of it and keeping it as simple as possible while maintaining the right level of responsiveness and all that stuff like I basically be like, here, make this good and Uh and see how they do it (laughs) in 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, it would be something simple, like a a simple lockup. Sure. Something they could do in in a few minutes. But it'd be more about just like, okay, how do they go about cleaning up this mess rather than like, did they do it right? And that's what most interviews I take part in are about. It's less about like, What
1: do you think and more about how do you think? Cool. Uh, Well, I don't know any other good follow-up questions. I also have never interviewed for design systems role, either myself or interviewed others. So (laughs) Uh, we took a shot in the dark, or I guess, no, you didn't. Um, But I'm out of intelligent questions to ask. So maybe we wrap there. And Anonymous, you can follow up if you have additional questions. But I think maybe what would be most helpful is if people hear this, And they are, you know, you have experience interviewing design systems designers, or you yourself run a design systems team. Uh, Tweet at us if you know of any resources, blog posts, books, things like that that we should be including in follow up next week. Tweet at us, and then we can help this anonymous question asker even more. Hopefully,
0: yeah, I need to know too. (laughs) Send me stuff so I (laughs) can help
1: Marshall. Help Marshall know how to do his job.
0: Always down to learn more. All right, Brian, we got another listener question here. Packing them in. I got a twofer
1: for the main topic today. Twofer, twofer. Yeah, we're going bi-weekly. It doesn't mean we only have to answer one question, but this one is a short one. This is a little bonus, a little icing on the the main episode today. So I liked this question that came through on GitHub. This one comes from Eric Haft Maxwell, who asks, How do you explain what you do? And Eric (laughs) continues. I feel like when the general public asks, what do you do? It's a short conversation. How do you both explain what you do to the layperson and keep it interesting and relatable? Thanks. (laughs) So, Marshall, Uh you meet a stranger at a party.
0: Yeah. And they say, what do you do? Yeah. Usually, I don't want to have the conversation.
1: (laughs) I walk away. I go home. And I watch a TV show.
0: If it's at a party, (laughs) that's one thing. Usually it's like an Uber or something. Like, what do you do? Hmm. Like, I usually just say I'm an artist, and that, that ends the conversation relatively quickly.
1: Wait, that ends the conversation? I feel like that would start the conversation. What kind of art? Oh, pixel art! <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah,
0: uh, usually it shuts it down. They're like, "Oh, cool, cool, cool," because I, I think they expect me to be a tech bro, you know. So, so when I say artist, you know, I don't know. I think it's to
1: downplay it. Uh, I mean, that's an in- what you're describing is an interesting observation. I like thinking about this in terms of the current meta. But the current meta is that saying you work in tech, especially in like a tech-centric city like San Francisco, yeah, is not. <sighs> Feel like people aren't doing it
0: anymore. I mean,
1: yeah. (laughs) For a variety of reasons, mostly like just the pandemic and and coming from like a place of just such insane privilege that we can work from home and and do what we do that it's hard to be like, oh yeah, I make apps, you know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Also add on like the YouTube aspect
0: of it. And it's like, oh, my son's been making videos on YouTube. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You want to avoid can you get my uh, son Yeah, verified? Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry. My comments aren't showing up when I when I leave a comment. <laughs> like, my shadow band, is yeah. that a thing? Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, you got to come up with an answer. So, okay, so you're at a, a family reunion. How about that? You're, you can't get away, but it's with people who you love and trust. And they mm-hmm. say, Marshall, what are, you, what are you doing these days? Yeah, so I say, I'm a designer. What does that mean?
0: Well, you know how you use apps on your phone. All the buttons and animations and stuff that happen on your phone, I think about what those should look like and how those should work. So when you tap on something, how does that react? When a new page comes on the screen, how does that come on? Is it a full page? Is it a dialogue that comes up and interrupts you like an alert? Is it a little notification that comes down from the top and tells you something? I think about which one we should use so that you have the best experience. I I give a few examples of like, you know buttons, right? You know these other like (laughs) interface elements that are pretty common. You just had that thing pop up, the alert pop up, and you have to deal with it. It dims out the screen, right? Uh, I decide when (laughs) we should use Uh each one of
1: those different tools so that you are happy, basically. Yeah, yeah. I find that no matter what answer I give, like the conversation doesn't go on very long if the person isn't interested in tech, yep. which kind of makes sense, I guess. My answer is usually I I design apps. And then if anyone ever asks, oh, what app do you work on? I'll say, it's for a company called GitHub. And if they aren't anywhere near software, they'll give me a quizzical look. Sometimes uh-huh. they'll say, oh, the one that you order food from? And I'll say, no, 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 that's Grubhub. That's Grubhub. Yeah, yeah, GitHub's a different one. They'll say, what's, what's GitHub? And I'll say... I, lately, I've just been saying, well, it's a company that's owned by Microsoft. And they go, oh, Microsoft. Like everyone knows Microsoft, but nobody knows uh-huh. GitHub outside of software. Anchor words. And they say, yeah. okay, so what, is, what does GitHub do? And honestly, I should have a better answer for this, but it's really hard because, first of all, I'm like, well, like, are you familiar with software or technology? And if the answer is yes, I would be like, oh, okay, well, it, it maybe you've heard of it. But if someone's not familiar at all, I just say GitHub is a tool that helps software developers make software together. And I work on an app that helps them do that when they're not at their computer. And I feel like that's pretty understandable, but usually nobody has follow-up questions because it's like saying software developer a lot in one sentence. So people are like, yeah, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's easier... And I was describing like how I used to explain being a UX designer. I haven't had to, like I've described to my parents what a design systems lead is and like what, what that means. And I think they understand. But I haven't had to describe that one too much to people.
1: I think the problem is like making it interesting. Yeah, And I think that software design is one of the most interesting things in the world. Mm-hmm. Hence, having a podcast about it for eight years. But most people don't think it's interesting software is a means to an end. It's the thing that they open to be entertained. It's the thing they open to talk to people they love. And I don't think most people consider what it means to use an app, like why things are the way they are. Although maybe that's changed a little bit in the last few years, just with more and more conversation in the public about Like what are specifically social media platforms doing to society and to people's brains? Yeah, the average person knows the word algorithm now. Yes, exactly. No algorithm, but maybe not like anything more interface related or user experience related, although the algorithm certainly is about user experience.
0: So anyways. Well, I mean, yeah, that's why I try to go towards like buzzwords that I think they might have an understanding of.
1: Outside of conversations with people who I know are in the world of technology, I just assume nobody Cares what I do, and I think this is more common in cities like New York or just anywhere outside sort of the Bay Area bubble. Yeah, nobody really gives a shit, right? Like you go to parties in New York, you meet people, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, I'm like a a writer for some newspaper," and you're like, "Cool." <laughs> and they ask what you do, and you're like, "I make apps." Cool. cool. Let's talk about something else. Uh-huh. So I don't know. I I found the older I've gotten, I just stop <laughs> talking about this stuff with people who aren't like in the context of like, oh, we're here to have conversations about technology. In that case hell yeah let's let's get nerdy but most of the time i feel like i just stop talking about it as much because i assume nobody really cares yeah is that that like
0: jadedness well i mean it just depends you know know your audience right it depends on where you are if if you're around people who are aware of that role as a thing you can do to make money you know then it's probably less interesting because it's like oh yeah yeah okay i've heard of that like Otherwise, yeah. But if you've never met anybody who works on any apps and you meet somebody who works on an app that you use every day, that's a unique experience. So they might be more interested.
1: The questions I like to ask people when I meet someone who's outside of tech and they tell me about their job is I want to understand the business of it, right? Like I feel like I kind of understand the business of software. I mean, probably not super deeply, but like definitely more than other industries, And so when I meet people who, I mean, literally anything else, it's like, oh, who are the big players? Or like, do people make a lot of money? Like, what are the biggest companies? Um, How do economics work? Mm -hmm. Like, that kind of stuff is super interesting. And I feel like that's a great way to just learn about how the world works. Because you always come away surprised. You're like... Like, for example, one time I, uh, recently I had dinner with a guy. He was technically in technology, but he worked on digital billboards. Like, he built software for billboards. Okay. And we had a very long and interesting conversation about the economics of billboards. And yeah, he was teaching but... me all sorts of things. Because, you know, you drive down the highway, and with all the digital billboards now, they flash something for like eight seconds. And he was telling me, yeah, like, guess how much it costs for those eight seconds. And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, well, depends on the city, depends on the location, but it's generally between this and this we get into the economics of them. And it was really interesting. I don't know. Maybe this is like the most boring thing to other people. (laughs) But I thought it was a cool conversation because, you know, those are the things that you literally have never thought about. Like, how does a digital ad on a billboard get priced? But you learned something.
0: Yeah, man. Every puddle is very, very deep. One of my favorite (laughs) things to do when I go to a hotel is to, if I have to walk past any of the ballrooms or any of like the conference rooms at the hotel, you know, there's almost always some sort of conference or thing happening there. I was like looking at the placards, or you know, like the big poster board on the easel outside the door of like, oh, this is a a forensics group that's meeting about something. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, oh, this is a medical prosthetics group. Oh, okay. yeah, that's yeah. really it, like any. It's stuff that I never even really think about, but it's like, oh yeah, that that is a deep ocean. And there, yeah, like you said, there's players that are the big ones and everybody who's in the industry knows all the in, ins and outs and all the drama and everything. But
1: Yeah, like all these other places probably, I mean, maybe not to the cert- same degree as like journalism and, and tech, but it's like, oh, I bet there's like a subculture on Twitter for that profession. And for everything. drama amongst the like celebrities of that industry. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, thanks, Eric, for the question. I don't know if this was super satisfactory because uh maybe we came off more jaded. And like, yeah. <laughs> no one cares what we do. <laughs> no one cares. But we get to talk because we get to talk about it for an hour on this podcast. Yeah. I think it's very like, interesting. I think it's the most interesting thing. I think software is just so fucking compelling yep. i love it it's an ocean of a puddle brian an ocean of a puddle in all directions well marshall shall we uh shall we talk about some opportunities for designers in this current in this economy <laughs> jobs <laughs> yeah job board bd3 right so we have a new one this week this one is for a company that you have heard of that many of you probably use that many of you probably love Figma Figma is looking for designers to help shape the future of FigJam. They have a few open roles right now focused on everything from core product, meeting experiences, onboarding, user education, and templates. So if you want to work at Figma and make FigJam awesome, uh, link in the show notes. Universe is also hiring a product
0: designer who is obsessed with the delightful possibilities of software and sees UI design as an artistic medium, not just a method of problem solving. Join a new kind of design studio and shape a product
1: that represents a radically better internet. That's universe. Mercury. Mercury is hiring product designers. They power the banking stack for companies like Linear, Maven, and Mighty. Join them to build beautiful software for founders. Learn about the remote-friendly team and roles at Mercury.design. And just a small disclaimer, Mercury is a financial technology company that works with banks. Current is on a mission to help people create better financial outcomes for
0: their lives, and they're hiring a talented senior mobile product designer with great visual design and UX skills. You'll be involved in the full product development cycle, from early research and product strategy to design and developer handoff. Thanks to all of our job board entries today. We have more at designdetails.fm slash jobs, right, Brian? Lots of
1: jobs, lots of jobs. This is four of many. Designdetails.fm slash jobs. Cool. All right, let's do some cool things, Brian. Let's go. I'll kick us off this week. Marshall, um, I am an uncultured man. (laughs) I, I don't know anything about television, as is proven every week when you do your cool things and you tell me about a show that I've never heard of and it's great and... Anyways, I feel like I uh, discovered something very fun last week, and it's called Iron Chef Quest for an Iron Legend, Uh and it is the latest incarnation of Iron Chef, the long-running series and show that has undergone many permutations over the years over the decades. Mm-hmm. But this is the latest one and it is on Netflix and it is very compelling. It was very entertaining. Effie and I binge-watched it in, oh, oh, I don't know, a few days. Wow. Did uh, all of them, huh? Yeah, I mean, oh, I think there's only like eight. It's not that many. But I'd never seen any Iron Chef before and I, as I've talked to people, they're like, wait, you've never seen Iron Chef? It's like a thing, right? Like it's a yeah. cultural thing. Had never seen it, but I feel like this was a great introduction to the concepts and the spirit of the show. Maybe like the brief description is there are five professional chefs, iron chefs that come in and compete against challengers and the challengers are very respected chefs in the industry. Like they are experts, the best at what they do. They own restaurants around the world, but they maybe are slightly earlier in their career, a little bit younger, maybe not super famous yet. But what I really liked about the show, because there's all sorts of cooking shows, I'm not a huge cooking show guy. Some of them are entertaining, but a lot of them are really dramatic about people messing up and Uh making mistakes Uh and, oh shit, you forgot to turn the oven on. Oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. Iron Chef doesn't have any of that. It is literally pros against pros Mm -hmm. cooking the craziest shit under the most intense time constraints and the outcome is insanely good. Every single time, like everything looks amazing. So I feel inspired by it. It's not as dramatic. It's really like feel good, I guess. I mean, there's winners and losers, but they're all really, really good. Nobody makes rookie mistakes. So that's kind of why I like it. It's like watching the masters of their craft on mm-hmm. both sides of the uh, kitchen stadium, you know, duke it out and, and make some really interesting dishes that I'm saying words I've never heard of using ingredients I've never heard of. So I feel like I'm learning a little bit through osmosis. But uh, anyways, that's my cool thing this week.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, that, that is the reason to watch it, right? Like, I do like my cooking shows. I like my Top Chefs and my Master Chef and Chopped and all that. But usually, yeah, like you said, the drama from those shows comes from people being fucking idiots or fighting uh-huh. with each other in a group mm-hmm. project or whatever. Like, that's not fun to watch. We usually end up fast-forwarding through that stuff. Um, I want to see people ex- succeed. I want to see people do well. And Iron Chef is exactly that. Like you said, it's pros versus pros. Everybody there is at the top of their game. It's a matter of inches who wins. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Good choice. Cool. What you got? Well, I have another Netflix thing while we're on the subject. Kind of late to the party here, but also not too late. Um, Stranger Things season four. The first half of it was released a while ago, and I abstained, Brian. I stayed unsullied. I didn't watch it. Oh, wow. So disciplined, Marshall. I... (laughs) Was not able to avoid spoilers entirely. I saw some imagery that um, you know gave away some major scenes, but not too bad. Not too bad. I didn't know any of the plot points or anything. And I will say, like, I didn't think season three was very good. I really liked season one. Season two was pretty good. I kind of remember it, but like, I felt like it was petering off a little bit. And I almost didn't watch this one, but that Kate Bush song and all this stuff. I was like, all right, I got, I got to see this thing. So I just watched it over the past few days. And Brian, it's amazing. it's so good there's wow. there's so much i think the the thing that I like about it, and this is this is very me of me, but like they really build on <laughs> so you of you Marshall. So, uh they build on the lore a ton, so a lot of the unanswered questions of like eleven's backstory and the upside down and what the fuck is all this stuff going on that has never really been addressed or answered a lot of that backstory gets filled out uh, in a really satisfying way that doesn't feel retconned or Mm. tacked on or anything. It feels like this was always the story. We're just now finding out, you know, okay. Uh, Which is super fucking hard to do four seasons in.
1: Yeah. That's what I would be super nervous about is that they would have to retcon all because season one, it was like, whoa, wacky. There's a Demogorgon in the, the upside down, like trying to explain that in a way that's not dopey. I mean, maybe, maybe they have to do this, but like, Magical witchcraft and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't well, know, I it just... always
0: ties in with the D and D campaign that they're playing at the time, right? Oh, okay, because uh, Demogorgon was like the bad guy in the D and D campaign uh-huh. that they were fighting, and they just right. named the monster that. That's not its actual uh-huh. name. And so this season, there's a a big bad from actual D&D lore that they're playing in a campaign that ties in with the real world stuff that's happening in the the upside down.
1: They should stop playing D&D, man. They're like, they're (laughs) They're summoning the world. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, they're, they're literally summoning shit.
0: Anyways, it's a good one. It's a good one. Highly recommended Stranger Things season four. And now it's all out too, So I was able to binge it all in one go instead of. Well, I,
1: yeah, I haven't seen a single spoiler, um, but also I didn't see season three. So maybe I need to go back. But at this point it's like, well, if I skip two seasons, I might as well just start over from the beginning. But then that sounds like a lot of time.
0: Well, here's what I did. I went back and I was going to watch a season three recap and I started watching it and I was like, I don't remember any of this shit. So I was like, maybe I didn't watch season three and, So then I go to Netflix and got red bars on all of the things. Like, okay, these are watched, but maybe my parents watched them or something. I started watching episode one of season three, and I was like, "No, I've seen this before." Okay, and I was like, predicting lines. He's gonna say this. Okay, okay, I've seen this before. So then I just watched the recap, and eventually got the stuff that I did remember. so yeah I would just watch a recap Um, there's this channel called New Rock Stars that does really good recaps of shows and movies and stuff that I usually end up finding yeah I remember watching all their Marvel stuff yeah Yeah, okay yeah yeah so I'll send you a link but it was good enough and actually it's seasons one through three so it's a full recap of everything that's happened up
1: till now awesome love it two shows for people to be entertained I hope you have a Netflix subscription (laughs) if you have a Netflix subscription yeah which honestly getting pretty pricey these days 20 20 bones a month I don't know anyways we digress this has been episode 443 of the design details podcast we hope you enjoyed listening Let Listen know what you thought as always we're on twitter at design details fm if you have thoughts feedback tips advice for interviewing for a design systems position please let us know and we can address that in follow up next week Uh, If you have your own interesting spin on how you explain what you do to strangers at parties, also hit us with that. We'd love to to call out some of the fun ones and and follow up. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode and want to get that bonus, bonus content, we call it the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. That's over on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details for just a buck a month. It's just a buck a month. In the next sidebar, we're going to be talking about being intentional about growing from a junior to a senior designer. Once again, it's at patreon.com slash design details. Thank you, everyone, for supporting the show. To all of our new patrons this week, welcome to the fam. We'll catch you next time.
0: Bye. I love you so oh, much. Like that? That's the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen.
1: <laughs> Isn't that badass? Was she able to go on rides after that?
0: No, no. She was done after that. But oh, that was it? Oh, it was man. like, that is what I would hope that I would do. I've never been in the situation to have to do it, but that's what I would hope I would do.
1: I think you would. I think something would kick in. You'd be like, oh shit, it's happening. And like, you'd kind of lock down. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I would hope so. Anyways, I thought it was super cool.
1: Well, good on Virginia. Good for her. Yeah, yeah.
0: Super impressive.